Grab your Bibles, open them. Book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're continuing our study of Ephesians. In fact, we're continuing uh, what, what I would consider the second half of what we started last week with our, uh, the title, Blessings That Are Found in Christ. I'm just going to go ahead and put my, my specific sermon title up there, Blessings in Christ. We opened this topic last week, and we're going to do the second half of it, meaning we're going to read uh, verses 7 through 14 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. There is, I, I was, again, just, I mean, I say these kind of things all the time, I think, but I, I, I mean them every time I say them, but there, 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 there's just so much in here, and I, there's no way I, I will address or say everything that can or ought to be or could be said about the text here this morning. Sometimes I wrestle with whether I should spend more time with it then, just let it, like, give another week to it. I also think it's one of the blessings or glories of God's Word is that as we continue to read it, study it, uh, you know, we could read and study this again next month or next year, and, and we would learn new things about, or new things would come out to us. Unless the Holy Spirit speaks to us from this text, it, it remains lifeless, and to me, this is one of the most glorious and one of the most incredible texts in all of Scripture that we have. I might say that about a number of Scriptures, but uh, uh, this one certainly is true. I want you to see this morning as we read through this text that much of what we believe theologically and perhaps about all that we should really cling to theologically uh, as bedrock is contained in these verses we're about to read. Pay careful attention to the Word of God this morning. Verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1. In Him, and the Him is who? Yeah, let's make sure we're awake this morning. The Him is who? It's Jesus. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Big breath, long sentence, Paul. It's what he loves to do. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. May God indeed be glorified this morning by the studying of his word, by the reaching in and the unfolding and the digging up and the acceptance more than anything. I don't want us to just tear the text apart and understand it intellectually. I want you to know in here what this word has to say to you this morning. Two phrases I want to remind us of before we jump in because they're phrases uh, that are repeated. We, we, it, we, we uh, heard them the first time last week and they're going to be repeated again today. So uh, here's the first phrase. This is from chapter 1 verse 5, the last part of that verse. It says along these lines, according to the purpose of his will. And you and I always need this reminder, and I often give it, and you need it again today. You do, trust me. God is sovereign and works things according to his will. Over and 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 over. I could keep going. Again and again and again, God demonstrates and needs to demonstrate to us that he is sovereign. We talked about it last week. We, we wrestled with the language that was in the, we're going to bump into some of those again this week. How do you talk about things like predestined and foreordained and God knew all these things? But at the end of all of that, I want us to know that this is stated this way because God wants us to know that he does things according to his will and his purposes will be accomplished. Nothing will thwart them. Nothing will stop them. Nothing will hinder them. Choose whatever phrase you'd like. God cannot be stopped. And he will not be stopped. So Paul is emphasizing again and again and again. And he's doing so because he's speaking to people about glorious truths 
that we must receive and work out in the mess of our lives where it is not always apparent that everything seems to be going exactly according to plan. Right? Take a good look at the last year and a half. Have things gone according to plan? Have things gone to how you'd like them to have gone? Pick whatever th topic you'd like to talk about, right? There's plenty of them. Make no mistake, God is working things out according to the purpose of his will. The second phrase I want to bring to us is the counterpart to that, which appears over and over and over again in Scripture. It appears in verse 6 of chapter 1. We're going to read it again twice more in today's text. Or I already did read it, but we're going to bump into it again twice more. Something along the lines of, to the praise of his glory. Those are the bookends by which we fit inside, by the way, that our lives fit inside. The bookends. God will accomplish what he will accomplish, what his purpose is, and it is all for the glory of him. He does what he will do so that he might gain renown and be glorified. Everything else fits inside of there. I'm going to tell you, I know how this works. So many of our struggles in our own personal lives of surrender to him and of trying to work it out and try to trudge through life and try to do everything we think we ought to do and failing at it and, and getting frustrated and having interpersonal relationships, all those things, they get really bumpy and they get even worse when we fail to acknowledge those two bookends. That God will accomplish his purposes and he will do so to the praise of his glory. That's why all the things happen that happen is so that he might be glorified. And yes, those are the good things and those are the bad things. How else can the incredibly wonderful, redemptive power of God be put on display unless it comes through the, 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 the window of our failings and our miserable shortcomings? Right? Don't resist that, by the way. Not that you should walk into it on purpose, but don't resist that. It is a humbling thing, but it is the truth of God. Those phrases we're going to bump up into again. So then I want to focus. Basically, I have one main point, but they'll have three subpoints under there. But I have one main point, and that is that all this stuff, these blessings we have, we have in him. That phrase comes up. It's repeated. I told you how many times it's in the entire book of Ephesians, but we've gotten already to a good number of them because we read several of them last week in the blessed, the first three verses, four verses there, three to six. And now we're going to have a whole bunch more. If you paid attention to what I read, in him, in Christ, in him, in him, in him, in him. Over and over and over again. I will say it unashamedly, church. If there's one thing I want you to know when you get done with the study of Ephesians is that you exist in him and for him. Everything happens in him. It should be the refrain that rolls off our tongue almost immediately. If anything good's going to happen, how's it going to happen? In Christ. If anything good's going to come out of you, if any redemptive value is going to happen, if there's any freedom you're going to experience, if there's any, it's going to happen in him. By the way, that also is the way that he receives glory is when something good does come out of you, which does happen, by the way. God works through you. I've seen it. I experienced it. But the refrain should still be that was only because of being in him. That was the in him of me, inside of me. That's the only way. Paul phrased it in Galatians that I no longer live, but Christ who lives, lives in me. That's, that's the in him. Today we're going to look at three things that happen or that are ours, three blessings that are ours in Christ. All of these come in the person of Christ. And they are fantastic and I want to not waste any more time getting there because in Jesus Christ we have these three wonderful, incomparable I hope when we get done with today, you will realize that there is not, this is what I said last week, we were supposed to bless God, but there is not a shadow of a chance that we will ever approach the blessings with which he has given to us in Christ. In him we have, verse 7 says, we have redemption. The Greek word that is for redemption there is apolytrosis, which you don't necessarily need to know that word other than to know that what it means, because it means ransom in full, to be paid in full. Apolytrosis is, I got to catch up with my slide here, is, it, is to be paid in full, to, to, to ransom. You know what a ransom is, right? It's when something has been taken and is to be bought back. That's key, by the way, because we belong to God, first of all, already, because he created us. 
So when we have been taken from him, when we've been taken captive by sin, when we have walked away, but when we've been captured by sin and we are now someone else's, he has ransomed us in full. The other way to uh, uh, interpret that phrase or that word is these words like riddance or deliverance or redemption. It comes from, because there's two words put together there. Apo means away or off of, and the word lutrosis comes from the word that means to free or to lift off, to loosen. So... We have been loosened away from our sins. We have been redeemed through his blood. Makes no mistake of that phrase that fits in there. We have redemption in Jesus Christ through his blood. That equals the forgiveness of our trespasses. And that word trespasses encapsulates all of the unknown sins and also the willing known rebellions that we have committed against God. We have forgiveness of those. I hope there's at least a few of us here this morning who recognize what an incredible gift of God's grace that is. That we have been forgiven of our trespasses. We have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. This, of course, is no surprise, is a theme which runs thick through Scripture. Runs all the way through Scripture. We could read, I could read verse after verse after passage after passage. It is, I believe, one of these central themes in all of Scripture. I don't think you will disagree with me. Let me illustrate a few things, though, about this. Just kind of walk us through real quickly here. The prophets spoke of this redemption in the blood of Jesus. I'll pick one. Zechariah 13, one says, on that day, on that day, on some day that's the coming, on that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. By the way, I picked that one because it especially says, as most of the prophets would say, that it, this, this, this fountain that's opened up is for these Jewish people and much of this letter's purpose is to remind us that it was not just for the Jewish people. This is the mystery we're getting to. He used that word here. We have now realized the mystery of God. It's not that he just chose the Jewish people at the beginning and said, they're the only ones who I will redeem. He has said, I will give my redemption for all people. John wrote the same thing in 1 John. He said that he has become the propitiation for our sins and not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. We have redemption. The prophets spoke of this fountain that would one day open. Jesus himself, when he was there, in fact, when he was very near to the opening of that fountain, he sat down with his disciples and what did he do? He looks at them, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, drink of it, all of you, all of you, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. No doubt on that mo in that moment, none of the disciples understood the gravity of what was about to happen, the thing of which all the prophets had spoken of, hey, on that day, there's a fountain that's going to be opened, which will be for the cleansing of our sins. And that day was right around the corner when Jesus said those words. It was coming like the next day. That day is here. John reflected the reality of it. You know this innocent little phrase that John uses, as Jesus hung on the cross and his life he gave it away, but his life winked out. And he talks about how when they came to him, they were going to break the legs of those hanging on the cross. And they came to Jesus and found him dead. So they didn't break his legs. Then he says this. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Words that Jesus had used about being born again. I'll tell you, that was the fountain opening up. That was there for the shedding of uh, sins, the remission of sins, the forgiveness, the redemption, the ransom in full through the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter would look back at that event. Now, he watched it unfold. Well, he wasn't right there, but he watched it unfold as well. But he would look back at that event, and he would say this in his letter, his first letter. Knowing that you were ransomed, there he uses that word, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption. And by the way, the heavenly throng will for ages into eternity declare this truth. Revelation 5, 9. John saw this around the throne as they were worshiping. They said, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
it seems impossible to highlight or to emphasize or to lift up or magnify enough what the precious blood of Jesus accomplished for you and I. The redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ. I can't quantify it. I can, <laughs> I can get excited and yell. I can break down in tears and cry. And neither of those get to the fullness. It is, I remain convinced, one of those basic elementary truths that almost every one of us have heard from little up if we've gone to church and become such a normal thing for us that we forget how unbelievably precious it is, that we forget how incredibly amazing it is, that we forget. That's why Paul uses this flowery phrase. He's like, we forgiveness according to the riches, the riches, the plenteous amount of grace. And he's not even done because the plenteous amount of grace that God has lavished on us. When you lavish someone with gifts, what does that mean? You give them a little bit, a little tiny box and say, here's what you get. You give them two or three things. When you lavish someone, what does that mean? It's an overabundance of supply. It's more than you could know what to do with. Try it today. Well, maybe you shouldn't. Try Lavish someone's plate with food and see what they think about it. Give them more they can handle and then say this is an object. Don't actually do this. Give, and say this is an object lesson of God's richest grace that he has poured out on you. He has lavished on you. He has given you far more than you know what to do with. He has made known to us. Think of, I mean, you could name grace unending in our lives, but think of just the thought that you are at this moment aware of the fact that Jesus did that for you. And think of the millions who are not. And when you do, let it break your heart. And let it change your life. And what you do. And where you send your money. He has made known to us the mystery of this will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. This was God's plan all along. To unite all things. Everything living, breathing, intelligent, and otherwise, everything, unite all things in Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. This is a theme that Paul is going to pick up again later in the book of Ephesians here that we're going to get to. But he's starting this off by helping us to see that this was God's intention from the beginning, to have all of creation united under Christ. We know that from other passages of Scripture as well. Let me read to you. <laughs> We're supposed to bless God, but let me read to you this blessing we've received of the redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. And let me read it to you from Romans chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, because it says this. Blessed are those, talk about blessing, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And it's from Romans 4, 7, and 8, because Paul is using it there when he is talking about the salvation that comes through Jesus. It's actually a quotation of Psalm chapter 32. Even back then, the psalmist wrote the same thing. What an incredible blessing when God does not count your sin against you. If you are in Christ and you have redemption of your sins, then God is no longer counting your sin against you. That is, I tell you, the greatest blessing you will ever receive. I hope you know that this morning. In him, in Jesus Christ, we not only have apodotrosis, which is redemption, but we have klerojo. In him, verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance. That's what klerojo means. We have obtained an inheritance. We have received something. That word klerojo means to allot or to assign or, as I said, to obtain an inheritance. Actually, the root of that word is the same root shared by the words like when you cast lots. It's the same word used in the Old Testament when they were giving out the land of promise to the different tribes. And lots fell, portions fell. This is your portion. This is your portion. This is your portion. That's what it means. We have received a portion. When we are in Christ, we have received a portion from God. 
We have obtained an inheritance. Let me ask you something. What kind of inheritance do you think you will receive from God? What is that inheritance like? Is God stingy? <laughs> will it be a paltry sum? Are you hoping in the world's way of things that when our parents die or our ancestors die and we're hoping that at least in, there's enough assets to cover all the bills, right? We at least come out ahead a little bit, a little bit there for an inheritance. Is that what it's going to be like with God? We just barely make out? Is that the kind of inheritance you think you'll get? What does God have in mind? What comes to your mind when I ask you what does God have in mind? What is God's inheritance? Let's, let's just have some conversation. What comes to your mind? Peace, more than I deserve. Everlasting life. Everlasting life. You wouldn't even, we, don't, we don't even know what that, we, don't, we, can't even, we can't even really quantify that, can we? Like, we, don't, we can't even, like, really think that, because we don't know of anything that is everlasting. Like, tangibly, we don't understand, we don't, we don't, that's hard to fathom. You know, I think of a verse in Scripture that talks about that, uh, you know, there's no eye that's seen or no ear that's heard or no imagination. We can't even imagine. We can't even, we can't even put together and quite get that right, but uh, what God has prepared, right? Like it's beyond what we can, like, like take, I, and I say these phrases all the time, and I don't know, maybe you just kind of like, they go by and it's just something Merlin says, but like take your wildest imagination and know that's not even gonna reach that. It's not even gonna get there yet. We have obtained and inheritance. Let me read this from, for you because I, I love this. And I, again, I'm a little bit of a nerd, so it, it's, you just have to bear with me when I do stuff like this. But I want to read to you from Acts chapter 26. It's, it's the story of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. But it's actually, it's, it comes in late in Acts 26, or late in the book of Acts because it's when he's actually telling of his conversion uh, to Agrippa. He's, he's going to be on his way to Rome, by the way. But this is what he says. He starts that off. I'm not going to read right here. He starts that off by saying, I'm on my way with a full the full blessing of the Jewish leaders, and I'm going to try to capture people who are believers in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to bring them back and put them in prison. And while I'm there, he tells a story. You guys know the story of Paul on his way to, uh, to, uh, to Damascus, and, and uh, he sees this bright light, and he's blind, and he falls down. He has this conversation with Jesus. Well, as Jesus says, Saul, why are you kicking against the goats? Why, why are you going against what, I, what I'm doing? And, and he says in verse 15 of chapter 26 of Acts, uh, Paul says, I said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord says this. Now listen to what the Lord says. The Lord says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes that they may, so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, I read quite a bit there, and I want to make sure we understand what's happening. So Paul is blinded, and he's having this conversation with Jesus, and he's saying, who is this? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus. And this is what I want you to do. I have a purpose for you. And that purpose is, is summed up in these verses. I tried to capture it up here. He said, I'm going to deliver you from your own people and also from the Gentiles. By the way, it's to them, to the Gentiles, that I'm going to be sending you. And the purpose of my sending is this. Now, you read through that last part. I kind of chunked it up there. So that last part, the dot after the last dot, 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 starts with that day. So it just in your head, don't read it out loud necessarily, but just in your head, you read through that. This is the purpose of why God said, I'm going to send Paul to the Gentiles. I'll give you a little bit. You read through it. It's all stuff we know, right? But pay careful attention. Don't read too quickly. I'm sending you there so that they, the Gentiles, may receive forgiveness of sins and a place. By the way, can I tell you that word place is the word kleroho. It's actually not the exact word kleroho, but it's the, it's the word based derivative of that, same word. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and obtain an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And you're still like, yeah, yeah, Merle, and I know that. God sent Paul, and he sent him to the Gentiles, and, and he's supposed to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, you, okay, so there's a cool little connection where they obtain inheritance. The reason it's so exciting to me is because 
think of the letter we are studying this morning and what we're studying in it. Think of the point of Ephesians. What's one of Paul's overarching points with the letter of Ephesians is to let the Gentile people know that from the very beginning, they were part of God's plan to receive redemption and an inheritance. Which is why he's saying exactly what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. He is literally carrying out what Jesus told him he should be doing. He went to Ephesus to the Gentile believers and he said, I want you to know that you can receive forgiveness and that you can receive a place or obtain an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. By the way, I would, I would make an argument to you that all three things we're going to cover this morning, the redemption, the inheritance, and the one that's still to come are actually all three right there directly from Jesus. We've covered the first one, redemption, receive forgiveness. We've covered the second one, obtain an inheritance, a place. It's the last one, being sanctified by faith. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, which is what the last point is going to be all about. I would argue that Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 1 and what he's trying to tell the Gentile believers that he's writing to come directly out of Jesus' very words to him on the road to Damascus. This is why I exist. I exist to proclaim to the Gentiles that you have redemption in Jesus Christ and that you have an obtained an inheritance in Jesus Christ. And by the way, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to get to in, in just a little bit. But let's stay with our inheritance for a little bit longer because Peter uses these words. And I want to read them for you this morning. I'm going to turn there. You can if you want to or just listen to me. First Peter chapter 1. By the way, I'd have you notice the similarities between Peter's opening in 1 Peter chapter 1 and Paul's opening that we just are covering in Ephesians chapter 1 the last week and this week as well. Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same phrase that Paul used. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, there's that word, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for his salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. I would tell you the same themes that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 1, Peter is talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1. But I love these words because they are more descriptive than even Paul was with our inheritance. I do this with people a lot as I talk with them in any kind of sermon context, and I'm going to do it with you this morning. I probably have done it with you in the past. I have no idea. I'll do it again. Look at those words. Imperishable. What does that word mean? Imperishable. What does it mean? It will not die, right? Perish is to die. Imperishable means it will not die. Undefiled. What does that word mean? So what is it? A lot of times because they have like the im and the un in front. What does it mean to defile? What does that mean? What does it mean to defile something? To corrupt it, to ruin it, right? To bring impurity into what was pure means to be defiled. So undefiled is the opposite of that. It means back to pure. It is pure. It will not die. It is without blemish. And it is unfading. What does that word mean? What does it mean to be unfading? What does it mean to fade? Okay, the glory never leaves. What does it mean to fade? Fade means it diminishes over time, right? My garments fade, they diminish over time. If my strength fades, it diminishes over time. Unfading means it will not diminish over time. Now look at those three words and tell me what you will find in this world that matches those three words. Find me something that will never die, will never spoil, doesn't ever get blemished, and does not ever diminish over time. Well, you should know what that answer is, right? That answer is nothing. This is the inheritance, brothers and sisters, that Christ has secured for you when you are in him. It's something that will not ever die, will not ever get blemished, and will not ever diminish over time. It will not get worse. We don't know anything like that in our existence because everything we see gets worse over time. Everything fades over time. Everything gets, gets spotted or blemished in some way over time. Everything dies eventually. Right? But our inheritance doesn't. <laughs> our inheritance doesn't. Never will. Let's stop. Why don't you stand up? 
Oh, would you please stand up? I should be nicer about this thing. I should be a little more, a little more proper. Would you please stand? You have these little papers with you today? If you don't have one, I should have warned you ahead of time. These are verses we're trying to memorize, so if you don't have one, see if a neighbor has one or share with a neighbor close by. There's some out right up outside the doors. These are passages of verses, or you can open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. That would be the other way to do this if you don't have one of these. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. We're making some effort at memorizing these, so we're going to read through them together. By the way, this has everything to do with what we're talking about in Christ. Think of this as you were reading through this today. Read with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen and hallelujah. You may be seated again. We have one more point we want to make this morning. In Christ, in Christ we have apollutrosis, we have redemption. In Christ we have kledroho, we have obtained an inheritance. And as incredible as all those are, I got to tell you, I think the last one tops them all. In Christ we have, and this is a fun word, sfragizo. Try saying that 10 times fast. Sfragizo. Sfragizo means we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. By the way, that last line, if you're looking at your text there, he adds some parenthetical statements. So the main text, the main point of that verse in verse 11, I'm sorry, in verse 13 and 14, reads this way. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he goes on to define that by saying he's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And he had already inserted this parenthetical statement that you were sealed when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. Sfragizo. We are in Jesus Christ sealed. And I love this word. This word means to stamp something for security or preservation. Picture if, you, if you're into like biblical pictures of, of what's happening, picture a, a scroll rolled up and sealed. You see the same picture in the book of Revelation, for example, when you're reading through. And actually, we read that verse where we talked about Jesus is the only one worthy to open that scroll. Something that is sealed, typically with an imprint of who that seal belonged to so that you knew. So, for example, if I made my last will and testament, then I would write down what I want to have happen upon my death, and I would roll it up, and I would have my seal that, that like, belongs to me. It's like my identity. And I would seal it and say, this is my property, and it's sealed for security and for preservation. They did the same thing with letters. If they were sealed, uh, then that meant that if the seal was gone, you would know that somebody messed with it or somebody read it, and they weren't supposed to because it's for their preservation. You remember the book of Nehemiah? Actually, I made the opposite point because they sent an open letter to Nehemiah. In other words, they didn't seal it. The point of it was they wanted everybody to read it along the way so that they could see, they could help put pressure on them to stop building. Side point, but if you remember that back in Nehemiah, that's something that happened. We are, in Christ, stamped. Oh, I hope that you can receive this this morning. You are stamped. God has put his sign of identity on you for security and for preservation. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, we have all kinds of discussions about the mark of the beast and all kinds of things like that. And I'm not saying those aren't real or those aren't things. But as believers, we should fundamentally understand that we already have a mark when we've trusted in Christ. And that mark is the Holy Spirit. 
we are sealed. We have his signature, his, his identity stamped upon us. If, this is why Paul did the parenthetical statements first, by the way. If we have heard the word of truth and we believed it. This tells you, little, little, little sidestep here. This tells us of the great, great, great importance of the word of truth. Of the fact that what's contained in the Bible, the gospel of salvation, is so necessary. And of its proclamation that it must be said. Look at what he says. In Jesus Christ you were sealed. But before I get to the cool part about being sealed, i got to tell you, it's that when you heard the word of truth, and Paul, of course, does such a great job of lining that down, right? Like, how are they going to believe if they don't hear? And how are they going to hear if nobody goes and tells them? How are they going to go unless they're sent? Right? How wonderful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's why that verse is there. If you hear the word of truth and you believe it, you receive it, it comes inside and you say yes. Let me put it this way. John the Baptist actually talked about this. If you flip back in your Bible to John chapter 3, it's where one of my favorite things that John utters comes from, and I'm not going to necessarily, it's not actually what I wanted to read right there, but it comes right on the heels of that where John says that line that uh, Jesus must increase and John must decrease. Right after that, he says this in verse 31 of John chapter 3. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth. Now, he's again still making contrast between Jesus and himself. Jesus comes from above. He came from the earth. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony, listen to this verse, verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Now let me just stop. There's kind of a weird way of saying it, but I'm going to make sure you understand it. He uses the same word, spragizo. He sets his seal to this, but here's what his seal is, that God is true, that what God says is right. That God is in control. That God is the all-powerful. That what God says is true. That's what he's saying. So that's what we are doing, by the way, when we believe in the gospel of salvation. When we hear the word of truth and believe in the gospel of salvation, we are saying God is correct. What is God correcting? He's correcting that he created us right and that we walked away from him. That we sinned. That it was our sin that separated us and caused death to come. And God was right in that we needed salvation. And God was right that when he said, I will send someone who will be your reconciliation, that'll be, that, that he was right and that he sent Jesus and that Jesus was who he says he was. That he came as God's son, the only propitiation that could be made for us, that redeemed us and ransomed us from our sins. That God is right. And that unless we have Jesus, we will not come to the Father. When we believe, that's, those, that's all the things we're saying. We're saying that God is right. Everything God says is right. And I'm wrong. And I want to do it God's way. And we're putting that seal and look at the very next verse. The very next, thing out of, the very next thing out of John's mouth. For he whom God has sent, Jesus, utters the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. Interesting. John the Baptist, before Jesus' crucifixion, says those words. That when you receive the testimony of Jesus Christ, that you set your seal to that. That God is true. And that Jesus freely gives the Holy Spirit. Of course, Paul is going to put that together for us in the words I just read to us, that we are sealed. By the way, Paul puts it together this way in his letter to the Corinthians. So I want to read that for you too. First Corinthians chapter, uh, sorry, not first, Second Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1 says this in verse 20. For all the promises of God, and this is a, maybe a familiar phrase in some contexts, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Now, Paul is actually talking about uh, his yes or no and whether he's going to come or not come and some question about that and, and the accusation that was being leveraged against him that he says something and just does whatever else he wants and he's trying to say, no, we don't do work that way. I, I'm led by the Spirit. He says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who's the in him, by the way? Are you still awake out there? Who's the in him? It's Jesus. Just travel up a couple of verses. In verse 19, he says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes or no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you. And he goes on to talk. So he's referring back to the Son of God in Jesus. So all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him, through Jesus, we utter our amen to God for his glory. That's why we say amen at the end of our prayers. 
May it be so. It's through Jesus. It's recognizing that it's in Jesus that all these promises are yes. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I put that last verse up there for you to see. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has also put his seals, fragizo, has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Of course, it's the same thing he wrote to the Ephesians, but I just wanted to give it to you in a different context, a different frame of reference, that when God says things, that's what should happen. That is what does happen, in fact, and God puts his seal to that, and when we agree with that, we become part of that. If we don't agree with that, we're on the outside. God is still going to do what he's going to do. Can I, can I say that to you again? God is still going to do what he was going to do. When we agree with that, then we come under that. We are found in Christ, and that seal comes on us. That's the Holy Spirit. It is our guarantee. Now, back in Ephesians, let me come back to the book of Ephesians as we wrap this thing up. Back in Ephesians, he says, this, by the way, you have redemption. You have an inheritance, but have you received your full inheritance yet? Well, that was pretty unconvincing. Let's try this again. Have you received your full inheritance yet? No. You've received some of it. You've received the down payment. That's what that word means, by the way, the, down, the, the deposit or the, uh, the, uh, the, the guarantee of it. It's, it's, it's a down payment. You've received the down payment. Uh, by the, let, let's just let time off a little bit. Hold on. Stop. How incredible is the Holy Spirit? Like, how amazing is it when the Holy Spirit works through you? How incredible is it when he corrects you and you yield and you experience the peace of God? Or how incredible is it when you're, you're stuck in a dilemma and he answers? How incredible is it when he whispered this little prayer about some meaningless little thing that you can't find and God answers? Like, how incredible is the Holy Spirit? He's incredible. He's amazing, right? What you have of him is a down payment of what it will be like to be in God's presence. I probably shouldn't say phrases like this, but it came to my head. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, right? (laughs) No, I'm serious though. I mean, the Holy Spirit in us is one of the most incredible things that we could ever dream of, and I'm telling you, he is a down payment of being in God's presence. Who wants to go home? I want to go home. It will be beyond our wildest imagination. I want to go home. He will be the guarantee that someday we will see the finality and we'll receive our inheritance. We could have kept on reading it, Peter, because he would say the same thing. He would say things like, even though for now you must be tested and go through various trials which are difficult, but all those are there to, to reveal the glorious value of what Jesus has done and how incredible it will be when your faith comes through at the end and says, well done. You've, re- you've received it. You've, 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 been, you've come in and enjoy what I have prepared for you. It almost seems, I'm just going to tell you, it almost seems sacrilegious to call the Holy Spirit a down payment, <laughs> right? And I don't mean it that way at all. I don't because he is God. And I can tell you as much as we allow him to have control of us, he will take and wants to take and ought to take. It's his right because we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But I want us to see what an incredible security that gives us to have the presence of Christ dwelling in you. That's why Paul writes things like, if Christ is for us, who can be against us? That's why Paul writes things like, what could ever separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. No height, no depth, no breadth, no, not, nothing in all of creation, neither life nor death, no power nor principle. The whole list is there. Nothing can ever. Why is that true? Because Christ is in you. If these things are true. So let me close with these as I'm kind of summarizing, wrapping together the entire message. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption. In him, we've obtained an inheritance. In him, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment, the guarantee. Let me just read these verses now to you. One section and then one verse. This comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. And they're going to start moving us a little bit from recognizing the incredible blessings we have to the response that's required of us in light of those blessings. Verse 12, chapter 8, Romans. So then, brothers, we are debtors. We are debtors. Did you hear that? 
Do you agree with that this morning? We are debtors. We are indebted, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Think of these themes we're learning in Ephesians. You've received uh, the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Again, I see in these verses the themes of all three things we talked about this morning. The redemption in Jesus Christ, the inheritance we've received, and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But I want to jog our memories back to where we began this sort of two-part series, back to last week, because the very first words out of my mouth when reading the text, and if you can't remember what they were, it's fine, just look back in your text from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, the very first words are what? What? Read them, Carol, you read them. Blessed be God. And then we spent the entire time talking about all the ways that God has blessed us. But those first words are still there. Because in light of the blessings we have received from God, we are to bless Him. And there's only one place that that takes, well not only, but there's one major place that takes my mind. is because the blessings that God has given to us in Christ by his incredible glorious grace, to the praise of that glorious grace, according to his will that he wanted to do from the very beginning. But the blessings he's given to us, they demand a response out of us. A choice for us to bless God in return. To yield to him. To lay down our plans and our directions and our control and our ways and to bless him. To allow him to form in us this character of Christ. To sanctify us to move us into places of higher holiness for we are called to be holy as he is holy. And when we resist that, it's like saying, I want all the blessings that God is giving me in Christ, but I want to return none of them back to him. And Paul asked a very important question in the beginning of Romans. It's he's setting up, in the beginning of Romans, he's setting up this long, detailed statement of all that God has done for us. But he asked us an important question. I'm going to ask you that question this morning. Paul says this in Romans 2.4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you presume? Do you just take for granted? Do you take advantage of all of God's rich kindness and rich forbearance and rich patience that he has given to every one of us? Do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's grace and kindness and forbearance and forgiveness and patience with us, they're not meant so that we can be like, whew, dodge that bullet. They're meant so that we can repent and change our ways. Otherwise, we make the grace of God to no avail. God, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you have just reminded us things that we, probably many of us, have known as we've sat in church, and so they're just good reminders. We ought to always be reminded of this gospel of our salvation, that in Jesus Christ, we have redemption of our sins. In Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance that will far outweigh anything that we can even compare it to. And in Jesus Christ, we have been sealed. We have your identity placed in us in Jesus Christ. We want to receive that this morning, but I pray, God, that as we recognize and again receive and give glory to you and just, just rejoice in these blessings you've given us, that it would cause us to say out of your kindness and your forbearance and your forgiveness and your patience towards us, God, that we want to bless you. We want to repent. We want to lay down our ways. We want to again say this morning, God, you are right. I need you desperately, Jesus. If I don't have you, Jesus, I am lost. You are right. I snubbed my nose at you. It is my pride that gets me in trouble. It is my self-sufficiency that leaves me in a mess. You are right, God. I am wrong. And I want to do it your way. I don't want to do it my way. I don't want to be the one that has to put it all together. I don't. I want Jesus. For in him I have these things. I pray, Father, this morning, 
just as bluntly and directly as I can. God, I pray that if this morning there is someone who is not found in Jesus Christ within my earshot and they are recognizing this moment by your Holy Spirit's power that you have granted them kindness and forbearance and patience, that they would choose to respond by repenting and turning away from their wicked ways and turning towards you and saying, I'm done. I want Jesus. I receive the truth of the gospel of salvation. I receive who Jesus is and what he has done for me and what he, I will someday see and I want to be sealed by the Holy Spirit to keep me for I know that you will finish what you started. We know whom we're believing in. We know that you will accomplish it. I pray God for that soul and that knee to bend to you this morning. And I pray, Father, if I may be so bold, I pray for just an unction or a moving of the Holy Spirit that is so powerful or forceful that if there's someone like that here that they cannot deny. They can't, they, they can't step away from it. They can't walk away from it. It cannot be. I pray, God. And I... I, and I don't, I, I don't ask that you make someone a believer unwillingly. But I pray that the conviction and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would be so strong that they would be, their eyes would be opened to the truth. And then I pray, God, for the glorious sweeping in of these amazing truths, not just in the heart that may have just yielded to you, but in every one of our hearts that has opened up to you this morning. The glorious sweeping in of how magnificent and amazing it is that our sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ and that there is something awaiting us someday being kept in heaven for us. Then one day we will arrive there by your grace, God, and that we are sealed in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and we surrender to you, Spirit. We ask for you to fill us, to consume us, to have complete control over us so that we might arrive there someday to the praise of your glorious grace. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.